0: We're finishing up Romans now after almost four years, uh, finally, so quickly now. And, And last week we saw something that we should all know is that God is glorious in his power. But especially the apostle wanted us to see that God is glorious in his power revealed in the gospel. Apart from the gospel, there is no power for salvation. That's the theme of This epistle that I've argued for since uh, chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God for unto salvation for all who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. In the gospel we are saved from beginning to end, justified, sanctified, glorified. It's all by the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore we said, I hope as we left last week and we say this morning... Glory to him. Remember, that's how when we read verse 25, we should open it up with that idea. This is all doxology here. Glory to him who is able to strengthen us. God has the power to strengthen us. Those two Greek words. uh, Dynamite is where we get the, the term from that Greek word dunamis and then sterizo, which as I said last week, and I forgot to study it this week even further, but I think we get the term steroid from God is the one who strengthens us for salvation. He's the one to be praised for our salvation. Now God moves now, or Paul moves now in what we're praising God for into, a, into something that we should all be thankful for all the time, and that's we worship God because of the revelation that he's given to us especially in scripture, but Paul uh, points to this revelation in a, if I may say this, in a more difficult way (laughs) than if he were to just say, give God praise that he's revealed the scriptures to us. Uh, We could go away from that, and we could say, thank you, we will, and we do, but the way he brings that out, the way he fleshes that out, goes a little deeper than just to say, God has given us the scriptures, and he's glorious for it. It goes a little bit deeper, and in fact, I should confess to you that if this is hard for you to, to, to gather this morning, to make sense of in your mind, pray for me right now that i be able to preach it clearly to you, because this is difficult language. We have a pastor here this morning from my home church in Montana, and he knows how difficult it is to come to Scripture sometimes, especially when you think you know what you're going to preach on, and the Scriptures stand before you, and they start... The scripture has to wrestle our minds to the proper understanding. We don't twist the scripture to what we want it to say. This is one of those texts for me. I wanted it to say a certain thing. I thought, oh, that's something true. But this text is saying something particular to us this morning about the revelation that God has given us. First, God is glorious because his gospel is eternal. The gospel is eternal. Verses 25 and 26 is where we find that. But we need to be reminded first that the gospel is God's message first. It belongs to him. It's been entrusted to us. But it's God's message. Verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets, that is, he gave it, Through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning, this is who his gospel concerns, his son. Who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And here he's named clearly Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel concerns Jesus Christ the Lord. Verse 25 in chapter 16. Now to him... Or glory to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. My gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, we learned last week, are not essentially different from each other. They both regards God's message concerning his son, which has been entrusted to preachers. Now Paul adds a bit of background to this gospel in our text this morning. According, he says, to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. The first point I want you to see this morning is that the gospel is twice connected in these verses to eternity. Now you see here this phrase, long ages, in verse 25, at the end of verse 25. Now we can say that the revelation of the mystery, that's the term Paul uses here, which is the gospel, was kept secret in a sense in the Old Testament. We can say that, And, and Paul will in a sense... Include the Old Testament in this language here. But the intention of the language seems to indicate an indefinite period. In fact, some translations do translate this eternal, eternity. Some sh- translate it in, in a sense of when uh, eternity transition into the ages that we now experience. But the, the the language seems to be indefinite, in ages past, an indefinite number of years or time that has passed this was in God and many argue and I think that this is Paul's purpose because he enjoins it with one of the attributes of God namely his eternality here that this is his message in eternity in fact in other places in scripture 1 Corinthians 2 verses 6 and 7 this is exactly what we read about the gospel there Paul says there yet among the mature we do impart wisdom But it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And what he's saying there, it's not the the wisdom of men. And of the greatest men, it would be in that day very clear that the greatest of the people are the rulers. It's not the wisdom of men that have contrived this message that we have for you. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden. So this is that which must be revealed by God. It's not of men, but it's from God. It can't be figured out by men. A revealed or hidden wisdom of God is what they impart, they preach it, the wisdom of God. And previously, he defines that as the word of the cross, so it's the gospel, which God decreed, listen, before the ages, before the ages for our glory. Before the ages is clearly eternity there. And Paul is saying that mystery that man cannot figure out and could never in a million years have understood apart from God imparting that mystery, giving that revelation to us, is an eternal message. It's the eternal wisdom of God. In fact, the wisdom of God is something that when we think of it, we should not think of it as just ideas, but it should be resolved in the person of Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, we can rightly say, even when we come to our text this morning, that this mystery, this secret that the apostle calls it, the gospel, is eternal in the mind of God. It's eternal because God has planned from eternity to save a people for himself through Christ. And we read something similar to that exact idea in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, when The John who receives this revelation from Christ says that there is a lamb, there is a lamb who is slain from the foundation of the earth. And the book of life, those who are written in the book of life comport to God's plan regarding his son, which is before the world is made. In eternity is the way that should be understood. Second, we live in an age where God's eternal plan to save us has been made known to us. So first we need to understand that the gospel is an eternal plan. It's an eternal message that belongs to God, but now we see that it has been made known to us. And I want us to key in on that those two words, to us. See, a lot of times when we come to these texts at the end of the sermons, we as pastors, we draw out so many implications and applications. But I want you to know right here this morning, you are receiving when you hear the gospel every week when you hear it in your pew, An eternal message that God hid in himself until, as we'll see, an appointed time. You're living in that time. Sometimes we just need to hear those things to realize how worthy God is to be worshipped by us. Oh, there's so many problems that we have in our lives. And we do. We've been learning, we've been memorizing Ephesians chapter 2 in our family worship time lately. You read those first three verses? Do they just roll off your back when you read them? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked after the course of this world, after the prince of the power of the air, in the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And it gets worse from there. I mean, it doesn't really get worse, but it just piles on. And the only hope in that condition is, but God who is rich in mercy. If you live in this day and age when this gospel is no longer concealed, you should give God praise. Let me say this to you, that the condition that's described in Ephesians chapter two, one through three, is worse than any condition that a doctor might give you. Oh, I have COVID. Oh, I have cancer. Oh, I have a heart disease. Oh, I have a degenerative disability, whatever it may be. All of those things pale in comparison to sin, and that we all are under that condemnation. But this gospel is the answer to that sin. Vaccines, be what they may in your mind, do not compare at all with this message in its glory, in its greatness and we live in this time when this has been revealed to us. We get so excited when something that we anticipate is on the horizon. Birthdays, right? Gifts. What gift? Valentine's Day. How many women in this? You don't have to raise your hand because this is a spiritual place, right? But how many, how, many whiz, how many of us get excited about anniversaries coming up? What's my husband going to get me? What's my wife going to get me? There's all kinds of new gadgets and stuff that we like, and None of that compares. Are you excited that you live in a time when the eternal has been made manifest? And that eternal, that which is eternal, is good news for us. We've, e- we've received eternally good news in the gospel. Do you glorify God that you live in such a time? And I think this is at the root of Paul's concern. This is a doxology. He recognizes it, we ought to. Secondly, the second main point, God is glorious because redemptive history is at his command. How do these things all fall out? Is God just up there picking up the pieces uh, when when we fall? You know, the, the idea of Molinism, this idea that God knows all the counterfactuals and he makes history kind of flow and so that he's sort of a picking up the pieces God. He knows how to make things well after the fact. That's not the way the scriptures speak about God. He is not cleaning up our mess. He is at command in history. This is, a, this is essential to Paul's concern about God being God. You know, God is only glorious if he's God. Not when, he, not when he, uh, we make him in our image is he glorious any longer? There's a transition here in the text. From eternity, ages past, where God kept the gospel to himself, or veiled, or secret, now to the present. And these three words are them. Verse 26, but has now. And and the question that I have for us this morning is, why now? You know, uh, now means now, 2,000 years later, but But when Paul is saying that, now means now as Christ has come. You you and I are saved because this is true, especially when we reconcile what Scripture says about Gentile believers, which most of us come from that stock. This phrase doesn't merely refer to a verbal announcement of good news, however. The mystery refers to the gospel, which is God's message concerning a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. You know, John 17, Jesus says, These have believed on the, the, the gospel, which is knowing me and knowing knowing you the Father and knowing me. That's what eternal life is, is knowing God the Father, knowing God the Son. This mystery refers to the gospel that is now revealed, that is now disclosed. That's the word. That word disclosed means that thing which was hidden is made known now. The appropriate way of thinking about what God has done in those three words, but has now, is found, I think, in Galatians four four, It's very appropriate for this. He says there, but when the fullness of time has come, the pleroma, the filling up of the cup, has come, this is according to God's timetable. God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born of woman, born under the law to redeem them for those who were under the law. Who's, as I say, who decided that the time was full? Well, we see the answer here explicitly. I'm not just making this up. He says in our text, verse 26, according to the command of God. That command is his eternal decree. For there to be an eternal mystery according to the command of the eternal God, forgive me, we need to have that. For there to be an eternal mystery, there must be someone who is eternal. And Paul says, this message is God's in eternity because he is eternal. Who else could it be? No one else is eternal but God. And he is to be glorified because of who he is. And then, according to Paul here, this came because of his command. God sets his own time, timetable as to when he would pronounce this hidden message as revealed. It was not because of us. It was not due to you or to me or to anybody. We cannot look back at Abraham or Moses or Isaac or Jacob and say, oh, they weren't good enough for God to give the full Gospel to them, meaning the, the sin, their son. It's not because we are good enough that we receive this or we deserve this or have any part in convincing God that it was in our time and age that this should come. Age is probably the best way to understand that. This is in God's doing, this is according to His purposes. Now, how do we make sense of this? We say with Paul, who can know the mind of the Lord? <laughs> Did anybody, can anybody make sense of the last two years? I mean, we're talking about two years in the blip of history. We, even all, even the best conspiracy theorists aren't right. You see how I said that all the time, all the time. They're not right all the time, are they? Oh, it was created in a lab, oh, it was in a meat market, oh, it was this, oh, this is the, you know, there's all these ideas of what's going on. We don't know. And then the, the bigger question is, what is God doing in this time? Which every Christian should be asking. What is God doing? Is he, who is he going to save in this time? Who is he going to mercifully save? Humble at this time of national and worldwide calamity. And we can't answer these questions. Who can know the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory. So Paul says, his being glorious rests in him being God. And if he's God, we cannot reach into the heavens and pull him down and figure him out. For him to be God is for him to be glorious. And for us to worship him because of that. But we worship him because of his grace in all of these things. What he has revealed to us is his greatness in salvation. What do we say to all these? How do we praise God when we think of him in this way? And I think that we are so blessed to have scripture that tell us exactly the words to say. Go to Ephesians 1 and I'm going to read a long portion of scripture. I believe this is Paul's longest doxology that he wrote. It doesn't even have com- it doesn't even have any uh, uh, periods in it for I think eight verses long in the original. I can't remember offhand. It, he's just stringing words together, words that exalt God for the things that we're concerning ourselves with this morning. Verse. 3 through verse 14. I'm just going to read it, try not to comment. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of promise, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So don't, don't leave here saying, wow, all those heady and high things that Paul calls us to glorify God with, how do we do that? Just pray this prayer. R- read this. If this is your heart, you're praising God rightly for these things. This is scripture. I love it when scripture teaches us how to properly praise God because we don't know how sometimes this is the spirit that Paul says in chapter eight of Romans that oftentimes when we don't know how to pray he intercedes on our behalf he prays on our behalf well this is God interceding and telling us this is how you worship me there's one more aspect to this doxology that I, I think God is worthy to be praised for before we go our way this morning Number three, the Old Testament scriptures make known the gospel. Verse 25 again. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, verse 26, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings, uh, I think probably that's better, the scriptures of the prophets here, has been made known to all nations. The main thing I want to demonstrate in this point is that Paul is very instructive as to how to see the glory of God in the gospel, in the gospel, in all of scripture. I've told you this before. I have very little love for the idea that we don't need the Old Testament. And I hear it too often by by mega pastors today. Why do we need that any, any longer? And I think some of them have a, an honest impulse as to why they say that, but it's misinformed. It doesn't understand what God is doing in the Scripture, in Scripture. The glory of God in the gospel is conveyed in all of Scripture. The gospel and its benefits is the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, the apostle says, manifested by the coming of the ministry and the ministry of Christ. That's how we should understand that. That's the gospel. And when I say that, we should understand that the gospel concerns Jesus Christ himself. This is God's mystery, which is Christ, Paul says in Colossians 2, 2, and 3. The knowledge of God's mystery is Christ, and in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The New Testament teaches of several benefits that come through that mystery. One of them in in chapter 11 is that at the end of the age, a mass conversion of Israel will come to pass before the end. Another one is that, as we read this morning in in Ephesians chapter 3, we as Gentiles are fellow heirs. We have the same standing as Jewish believers. We are on equal footing because... All are saved through one Lord, through one Messiah, through one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that as well in chapter 9 of Romans. And these are mysteries that have been manifested through the gospel. But Paul is already taught here, he's taught us about what these prophetic writings regard. Why do they make known the gospel is the question that might come to your mind. Why do the prophetic writings in the Old Testament make known the gospel? Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Look at what the apostle says there. The gospel of God, which he promised. You hear that? God promised beforehand. How? Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the first idea that you should have in your mind is how God makes known the gospel through The prophets is through promise secondly chapter 3 verse 21 but now the righteousness of god has been made has been manifested apart from the law although listen the law and prophets bear witness to it they bear witness to the righteousness of god that's the gospel which is revealed in christ's coming okay now these two words, "promise," chapter one, verse one, and the phrase, chapter three, twenty-one, "bear witness." That is, the righteousness of God through faith is borne witness by the prophets and the law. Help us tremendously when we understand what Paul to understand what Paul's saying in this doxology. What Paul is saying then in each of these verses is that the gospel was present in the Old Testament in two ways. First as promise, and then as a witness, a prophetic witness. So God's gospel was was present there. Although we have to understand from this text that it was not fully manifested until Christ came. Now you're sitting there going, "Well, well, what does this really matter? This means that we cannot and must not separate the fulfillment or the manifestation of the gospel from where God first made it known that is in the Old Testament. We must not relegate the Old Testament merely to law because it made known the gospel to all nations, Paul says here. Well, how does that happen? How, how does that happen? You know, I, I've heard often that the Old Testament's law, the New Testament, is grace, right? Listen to this. First, the, the, in answer to how God has made known the gospel to all the nations in the scriptures, that is, the Old Testament is first, that the Old Testament is not completed revelation apart from Christ's coming. Paul is saying here that it speaks forward to the gospel. How does it do that? Go to Galatians 3. Uh, I tried to summarize this point as well as I could. How does the Old Testament speak forward to the coming of Christ? First, as Paul said, it does it in promise, as a promise. Galatians 3, 8 and 9. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying you see what it said there? Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So the gospel was present there. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And go down to verse 14. It says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive what? The promised spirit through faith. So here's promise being fulfilled By faith in Christ, who was, he says, promised to Abraham as the gospel was then given to Abraham. Now go down to chapter 3, verse 31. Sorry, 21. Hopefully that's the correct reference. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Listen to that, the law. Because Paul does recognize that the law in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, if that's the way it's best to understand... That is primarily what we see in the Old Testament, right? The Old Covenant, the law. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But listen, this is absolutely crucial to this point. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith, that promise is gospel promise by faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Do you see that? So the law had an integral part in preparing the world for the manifestation of Christ. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the the law was our guardian until Christ came, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. You see how the Old Testament then speaks forward to the gospel. And the second point is this in relation to this this third main point. Therefore the Old Testament cannot be understood correctly apart from Christ. You see when Christ comes, the Old Testament is opened up now. Benjamin uh, Warfield said that the, the Old Testament is like a room, a large great room full of exquisite furniture and beautiful tapestry. But it's, it's dark. You can't see it all. It's not completely in, in proper order in your mind. You can't Make it out. But when Christ comes, it's the light that lights that room. And now all that tapestry, all of that furniture, all of the gorgeous hand, handiwork that belongs to God is now visible. And what it is saying is Jesus is the Messiah. He is the gospel. God's word is true. Remember when we studied Isaiah 52 13 through 53 last year and how I said over and over again you cannot come to that text apart from the manifestation of Christ and understand it it is an enigma apart from what Christ did to fulfill it you have this exalted servant exalted to the degree of deity alone three times in verse 13 Next verse, he's lower than any man in his suffering. He's inhumane in his appearance because of the level of his suffering, and it just goes on from there. And it's, you can't understand it, but when Christ comes, this prophecy 700 years that is, is incomprehensible in many ways, now you can look back and say, wow, the wisdom of God, the power of God is there in the Old Testament. This is why the Bereans were noble I often r- remark that we don't think about that text when we see in Acts that the Bereans were more noble than those that were in Thessala- Thessalonica. I can't ever say that word properly. My wife will point out to you. Why? Because they searched the scriptures. What scriptures were they searching? There was no New Testament. Paul is saying the words that we told them about Christ, they're going back to the scriptures, to the, New- to the Old Testament, To see that they are so. But it all comes about because God has disclosed. He's revealed the mystery that he kept secret for long ages. Which is that Christ has come. The Messiah has come to take away the sins of the world. And he accomplished his purpose for which God sent him into the world. The apostle says in 2 Corinthians 3.14-16, For the, to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that is, the, the Jews that do not see Christ as the fulfillment of those promises and shadows of the Old Testament, the law even, that same veil remains and lifted over their eyes, the veil that he talks about that was over Moses, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil, Is removed you see the glory of god in the old testament do not throw away the first half of your bible the glory of god in the face of christ jesus is there and it is magnificent and it's part of the wisdom of god that we glorify god for you see all of this is to make worshipers of us it's all to make us his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And, and essential to that is worship. Christ has come in God's timing, revealing God's eternal plan to save sinners, to save his people from their sin. And Paul is saying that those Old Testament prophecies clearly make him known to all nations. Now that is remarkable. That is that phrase, all nations, we'll look at that more next week, God willing. That's you and us. That's you and I. Now, if you read, if you read the Old Testament in a, in a narrow way, apart from what Paul is saying here, you say, well, that's written to the Jews, right? That's written to the Jews. Well, if it concerns the gospel, it's written to you and to me. It's there for us. Why? Why? Because these things make God known to us. His mercies, his grace, his justice, his love, his righteousness, God has revealed to us. And our salvation is in knowing him by faith. Therefore, we have in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments all that is needed to make Christ known to sinners. Indeed, Paul is saying this so that God's people give glory to God for making salvation that belongs to him in eternity known to all the nations, including us. And this is my closing words to us. It's our responsibility to praise God unceasingly for this. But, while we do so, we have also the responsibility to take it into the world. This is a message it's God's, and he's entrusted it to the church. And it's the only message that can save sinners. The world cannot do it. They cannot even pretend to do it. Look at what the world is doing to themselves as they're trying to save themselves. This is the message. It's God's message entrusted to us and it concerns the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is to be glorified for it.